Tavernier's corner. Free header, 3-0. Senesi might well have headed Bournemouth to their first ever win at Old Trafford. Manchester United nil, Bournemouth three. Hello and welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley and as ever I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. So, women, eh? They want everything these days, don't they? They want to be on, on all the shows. <laughs> Genuine football blokes just can't get a look in. It's supposed to be a man's game, isn't it? It, meant it to is be. supposed meant to be a man's be. game. Meant to be. Listeners should be aware that we went through the running order as to what we were going to be talking about, and this was not on it. <laughs> so, it's a curveball. It's, it's a classic Sibley curveball. Yeah, women talking about football. How dare they? Yeah. Wouldn't happen here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because we can never persuade any of them to come on. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. Less said about that, the better anyway. Yeah, I was actually at some women's football this weekend, and it was brilliant. Me and 59,000 other people were in the Emirates watching Arsenal women beat Chelsea to go level on top of the WSL, keeping the season alive. Yeah, it was brilliant. Lovely day out. No one minded the rain, because it was absolutely lashing down. And where I sit, which I thought was undercover, wasn't really undercover at all. Did you get a bit wet? Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's easier to ignore that when you're 3-1 up at half time. so yeah. Nice. Great day. 59,000, though. That's a huge crowd. That is. Oh, it's a record. And Arsenal are breaking records everywhere at the moment because they broke the record in the first game of the season when they lost to Liverpool at the Emirates. And now they've broken it again. Really good news for the women's game. Maybe it means they'll have more games at the Emirates next season. Obviously, that's something that's going to happen soon enough. And who knows what's going to happen when the new co, the business that is going to take over the running of the WSL, whether or not they're going to be able to match up more with fixtures so that, that it will be more likely that clubs can have their games at the main ground rather than at the grounds that they usually play at, which are significantly smaller. And so they don't tend to have so many spectators there. Interesting future ahead. Well, good future ahead for Arsenal, at least. And when other clubs start to catch up, which will be soon, I'm sure of it. Uh, mm. it'll be even better. But then again, of course, once they start filling it up, then they'll start jacking the prices up and then it will just become like men's football, won't it? Yeah. Well, that's in the post, isn't it? But I, I, it does strike me that because Arsenal's got such a wonderful stadium with amazing first-class facilities, that that's going to be a draw as well, obviously, and you're seeing top-flight elite football. But if you watch, I mean, if you remember watching, you guys are old enough, as I am as well, to remember watching football in the 80s and early 90s when the, you know you were playing in Victorian football grounds like the old Roger Park, people get all dewy-eyed about it, but the place was awful by the end of it. As a spectator, it was awful in terms of the facilities and just everything was crumbling. And so if you're going to watch a, a women's football match, I'm not saying that the facilities in some of the grounds they're playing are as bad as that, but you've got the Emirates or you've got like Chelsea's training ground or whatever. I mean, it's just, there's no comparison, isn't there? You want to go somewhere, especially being a family affair and, and people are going, uh, you know, the, the whole whole group of families going there. You, you're not going to really get that if you're going to a place that doesn't have all the facilities for that. Because one thing you don't want to be is wet and wet and having 
a grumpy child with you. Um, <laughs> so uh, I definitely wouldn't want that. Last week, we were talking about something completely different. And you know what it's like when you record a podcast? Well, you probably don't, but I mean, everyone's got a football podcast these days, so you probably do. But you record a podcast, and our one was about the FA Cup, mostly. And then the following day, the following day, as soon as it comes out, actually, while I'm still editing it, Sunderland go ahead and sack their manager. And it just ruins everything. I mean, every year we love to have a Sunderland sack their manager podcast, don't we, Jan? It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't it's, it? it's, it's, it's a thing you can set your calendar by, isn't it? And it feels like we were robbed of it because it's happened a week ago and it's like, you know, it's around your chips now, isn't it, this story? Yeah, I think that maybe we were just getting a bit lackadaisical on this because it hadn't happened in 2023. Yeah. And with only weeks left in the year, it was bound to happen, really, wasn't it? I mean, we should have put some money on that because it had to happen before New Year. And it did. Yeah, but it was a busy day for, well, busy week for sackings in the championship, wasn't it? Because on the same day, Swansea got rid of their manager, Michael Duff. And of course, a few days later after that, then Stoke got rid of the guy who was the Sunderland manager last year, <laughs> Alex Neal. That's tough, isn't it, Jan? Oh, well, I mean, I was there was a little bit of a smoke when I heard that <laughs> news come through. That was quite good. But no, I mean, he, he did a great job at Sunderland, got us promoted. So it was the manner of him leaving, which was the problem. But you know, if you, you think you can do a better job somewhere else. And and I think, to be fair, there was more than a, than a sniff of frustration with the ideology or the focus the club has got on young players, uh, very young players. And I think Mowbray was starting to feel that as well. In fact, he kind of broke his silence on that in the last couple of weeks. And I think that that, coupled with a bit of a poor run in form, was enough to push the club over the edge, really. Mm. So there's some parallels there, definitely. Mm. So what's going to happen now? Who's coming in? Well, I've got three names written down in my notes here, and I'd imagine that most people have never heard of any of them, because I think they're just going to go, as I said in the preview for the West Brom game, which we won, hurrah, um, Sunderland are going to have some kind of uber nerd that coaches some team in a minor league somewhere that everyone just thinks is the next best thing, and that's probably what's going to happen. Um, and certainly the, the first of these three, and I, I will keep these brief, fits that quite well. Kim Helby is a Swedish coach, and he recently left IFK Venamo, who were finished fifth in the Swedish division. Their, their season finishes because obviously they have weather considerations. He apparently is, it fits the, the Uber nerd mold quite, quite well, but highly thought of. So he's now in the running. Will Still, who is at Ream in League 1. But I don't think they're going to get him away because they lost the weekend, but if had they won, they potentially would have been closer to the European places. And then uh, Julian Sable, who's the assistant at Nice, he's never been a, a head coach in his own right. Nice, obviously second in League 1, but he is the assistant, so he could potentially move on. But he, he's coached the B team at Nice and Saint-Étienne, and again, is highly thought of. So it, it, this is not, let's just bring in Sam, which I personally would love, but <laughs> let's bring in Big Sam. The club's ploughing their own furrow in this. Uh, Graham Potter was mentioned, but that's just a bit of lazy journalism. We can never afford him. And I think that the fact that they're looking at the people that they're looking at, apparently, obviously, this is all third-hand and come via journalists, so I can't vouch for how valid all of this is, but it's, these seem to be the names leading the discussion. So it's going to be a really interesting time at Sunderland for whoever we get in. Terry, come on. Let's do a bit better than that. Let's try and dig up some uber-geeky coaching nerdery from the uh, backwaters of Europe. 
what can you suggest then, Terry? Oh, I don't know, man. I mean, at least they're not ploughing the German second division furrow or, or the Regionalliga or the B-team coaches of Borussia Dortmund, which is usually what happens when you want to appear like you're doing some research on these <laughs> things, but you really can't be asked. So who's the coach of Dortmund's B-team right now? Right, we'll, we'll get him in then. You know, Sunderland have obviously got a plan. Kilduis Dreyfus is the son of his late father, was um, at one point majority owner or if not whole owner of uh, Olympic Marseille. And so there's a clear, clear connection um, with the French league, I think spiritually with the ownership of that club. Um, And that's where they're obviously going. It's interesting that we're seeing um, the emergence of some very interesting young English coaches coming through. You know, we've got Rob Edwards up at Luton doing a great job. You know, even Gary O'Neill, you know, who's who's doing a great And it's disappointing that Sunderland can't maybe look to, you know, our own lower leagues and maybe some of our own younger coaches and bring them through. But this is, as you say, uh, Yanis, this is the the plough they have chosen to furrow or indeed the furrow that they have chosen to plough. And which I believe is probably the correct way of saying it. Um, And so, you know, fair play. They've got to stick to their guns. They've got to do what they want to do. You know, it's harsh on Tony Mowbray because if anything, Clive, he was too successful last season. I think perhaps it's created a bit of a rod for his own back. And yet, especially if he's not really at one when it comes to transfer policy. I think Sunderland do look at 2013, 2014 vintage Dortmund and a bit, oh, they look at Klopp era Dortmund, you know, Michael Zork era Dortmund and Dortmund and think, you know, big club, big working class area, massive stadium by our standards, big support, very much the centre of the city. And they built themselves up by this programme of hiring talented coaches, one, and scouting for good young players to come through and then sell them on. And I, I think that Sunderland have looked at that model. And they're not the, Dortmund aren't the only club that do that, but they've looked probably look at Dortmund and say, that if that can work in a place like Dortmund, it can work in a place like Sunderland. And it's something that crosses my mind. And, and I think it's a nice antidote to their uh, more illustrious and less reputable neighbours as well. And I think it's a good identity to go by, but it, it can be perilous and it's a long journey and it's a patient journey. And it's difficult because obviously football is massively impatient. So we shall see what happens next. I don't think Will Stills completely out of the question because I do think that he will want to coach in England. And I don't think there's a Premier League club that will take a chance on him because of his lack of experience. So I think that a well-organised, decent championship club with a vision, if Sunderland fit that bill might actually be a good thing for Will Still. So we may yet see him in the northeast. Well, that's the concern. If you're going to bring somebody from outside of uh, not just the division, but also from outside the country and someone who's unproven, that's going to be a difficult challenge for anyone. And especially when the need for results is so pressing. <laughs> Ironically, one win and we're back into the, the playoffs. And I think, to be honest with you, Tony Mowbray would have picked the same side that beat West Bromwich Albion. The, the weekend. So so the point is that I'm trying to make is that bring any of those three in, they're going to need time. They're going to need time for themselves to acclimatise and, and for the players to get used to their new way of playing. You know, you don't really have a lot of time in football. But if that's another uh, pillar that's uh, supporting their vision, that they're going to they're going to bring somebody in and they're going to spend some time with them and let him let him do his thing, um, then you know, good. It's exciting times. It is indeed. But that area just outside the playoff places at the moment is typical championship though, isn't it? Because you've got Norwich who are in the bottom half who are just three points off that sixth spot as well. So it's one of those seasons in the championship, which we love. Those two sides that are 
eking away at the top there, just drifting away, they'll soon be dragged back into that horrible, yeah, yeah, horrible yeah. mess, won't yeah. they? Won't last forever. Sorry, Ipswich fans. But tell you, another story that broke while I was editing last week's podcast was one about the new TV deal. Now, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, about the Premier League, and about how big TV deals were foundering, weren't they? In France and Italy, they, were, they weren't getting much money. Well, they were getting about a billion, which in, in the cosmic <laughs> scheme of, of international uh, football rights is pretty much small beer. But the Premier League does it again. It certainly does. New record deal, billions. 6.7 billion, is it? Yeah, it must be of that order. After having said a few weeks ago that I could foresee a time when Sky might back out of the of the Premier League, they only increased their coverage. So, yeah, I will say that, mea culpa. I still feel in the long term that there is some logic in what I'm saying. But oh, obviously I can understand that in the here and now that that doesn't seem very logical at all. I won't try and walk back from that. That's just how it is. What's interesting about that deal also is obviously it gives so much more coverage to Sky that they've got almost all the Premier League on, on live TV now, just with that one pack that TNT have got, which you assume TNT will probably keep for the foreseeable. But Amazon Prime obviously backing out. I think a lot of people speculated that the streamers might get involved in the Premier League. And there's been none of that. It's actually no. been the traditional broadcast channels that, that have won the day on there. So that tells you something about the state of streaming television right now and that perhaps its coffers aren't quite as full or it's not prepared to go in so far to the Premier League. And it still says to me that the Premier League for a lot of companies is a bad risk. It's just that with Sky so massively involved in the Premier League that they have to keep going. So you could argue that they're doubling down, but actually the smarter call might be to start walking away Mm. anyway. Let's not go into that. (laughs) I concede. I was wrong. Okay, I was wrong. I was wrong. In a perverse capitalist way, this is a good deal for the fans because it means that you've now only got two services that you need to subscribe to if you want to watch all the football. And actually, fortunately, I'm not here to sell TNT subscriptions uh, because if I was, I'd be fired for what I was about to say. You don't need TNT now, really. You could probably get your Sky Sports and then that's really all, all you need. You could probably live without the TNT because you can say well there's so much now on Sky I might as well do that I don't know I'm not going to do that but it might well be that a lot of punters will be able to say especially cost living crisis and all of that and go do we need TNT there's so much of it on Sky now Mm. so I think actually it works out okay as long as you have the money to pay Sky's very very large license fees for it in the first place and if you don't then obviously then you're streaming illegally anyway so that's fine so yeah it's an interesting move and it was and I was I was needless to say a little bit surprised but I was quite interested in the fact that the streamers did not get no sign of Apple nowhere near it no sign of Netflix although not too many people were surprised by that and Amazon not even bothering to keep what they've got and they're pulling out of all the other sports as well apparently they're like they're, oh, they, they're, they're not renewing the tennis, for example. Oh, I think Amazon right. just got like, like maybe they've just decided it's just too much money and not enough. They don't sell enough toilet paper off the back of it. <laughs> well, that's the bottom line at the end of the day, isn't it? But, Ultimately, because um, <laughs> that's what they're there for. <laughs> they're there to sell bog roll and yeah. other useful things. And other useful things, of course, especially at this time of year. <laughs> you never see bog roll on Black Friday, do you? Well, I don't think I've actually looked for it on Black Friday, but um, that's why I'm saying it because I'm knows a good chance. Terry no obviously <laughs> has. <laughs> well, I'm just making, I'm I, just I don't want to see sure. him walk backwards from another opinion. 
<laughs> or I have to make another on-air apology. No, in fact, now that I've walked back from one, I'm now walking back from all of them. <laughs> Everything I've ever said on this podcast is wrong. Oh, God. That, that's a lot of apologies, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, I'll make a list. Do one a week. Make a list. Check it twice. It's that time of the year. Okay, so we've got a new deal for Sky. No more Amazon. Uh, so we've got Sky to look for. Sky going to do that whole midweek package that we had last week. Do we think they're going to do their own version of the goal show? All the games, all live, which we had last week, which was quite refreshing. Jeff Stelling came back onto TV and uh, fronted a show that was basically like Soccer Saturday, but with the goals in. It was it was great. I, I really enjoyed it, actually. I, I, saw, I read a few things that, that were a bit sort of, ooh, no, don't like this. This is, I'm, a, I'm a gin this. Yeah, it was Barney Roney, so I mean, fine. If you don't like it, you don't like it, but I, I thought it was good, and I think it would be interesting to see if, if Sky do go along with that and see, see if, if they do, because they never did that for the European... Uh, football when they had that um, that was something that BT went in for on their coverage and Terry going back on what you what you were saying about TNT subscribers I mean, yeah I think you're right if your team's not in Europe then yeah I don't think there's probably that much to really keep you from having a subscription the only other thing I would say is that their slot is usually on a Saturday and it's usually sort of time when it's probably quite nice to be down the pub isn't it really because you're probably at a match or something aren't you so that sort of slot that you can I, I think I probably watch most of my Premier League games that are on TNT probably down the pub even though I can watch them mm. at home just because I'm out not because I've gone out to see them in a pub I don't have a TNT or BT subscription like many people money's a bit tight and so you kind of look at it and go well the Saturday lunchtime game you're quite right if I really want to see that I can just go and have a few jars with Graham and watch it then. Um, but it's, you know, Sunderland are never never on there because they're never going to be because they're in the championship. Yeah, My view might change when it comes around to February when things start getting a bit more interesting in the Champions League. But other than that, it is an extravagance, really. And especially with all of the additional games that come down the sky, I think that's going to make it a lot harder for TNT, BT, whatever they're called, <laughs> next year. Well, that's a good thing because you say whatever they're called, but of course, because they're owned by Discovery their linear channels called TNT, but like you also can watch all of that sports stuff on their Discovery Plus app. So you've got, from a branding point of view, it's not the smartest thing that you would want to do, to be honest with you. You want to have a uniformity of branding. So it's peculiar to have, you know, such a big company like that, getting things a little bit confused there. But um, I would imagine that TNT's probably strategy would be to invest in different sports, try and grow those markets there because they would be much, much cheaper to do and build their subscriber base that way. They've got MotoGP, which is not hugely popular, but it's pretty popular. And it's popular enough for people to pay for a subscription for. You know, they might try and get involved in golf and stuff like that, that kind of stuff. And as I said, with Amazon pulling out of tennis, they might well do that. So they might well feel that they can go in a different direction, none of which is about football. But the other interesting thing about, of course, there's still no coverage of Saturday 3, which, of course, is the one where our corner of football Twitter does love to talk about. At least the discussion on that is building up. For a long time, I don't think there were people who had any opinion on it at all or hadn't had an opinion that they actually put any thought into. Most people's default is to say that it's a bad thing because it interferes with people who want to go to, to football matches. And the concept is that lower league clubs have walk-in trade on that three o'clock Saturday because people can't see the club that they actually want to see on the telly. 
and it would be far easier for them to just sit on their asses and watch something on telly. And because they can't, they get off their asses and get down to a football match. I'm not sure how true that is. There is another fly in the ointment now, though, because a couple of weeks ago, Karen Carney's blueprint for the future of women's football suggested that Saturday 3 should be the premium slot for women's football. That's not going to impact on women's football because they don't play at Saturday 3. They usually play on Sundays. So it's an ideal slot for them to put it on. And if anything, yeah, if you're protecting grassroots, then you've got to move it away from Sunday onto Saturday. And there's a big two-hour slot in the middle of the day where they're not showing any football at all. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it, Terry? Um, yeah, that makes sense. Traditionally, football, women's football is played on a Sunday. Traditionally is a bit of a strong word, really, isn't it? Because yeah. women's football is still very much growing. But that seems to have, you know, people have arrived on Sunday, understandably so. But yeah, if there is this possibility of a TV slot being made available to broadcasters and say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll broadcast on Saturday. And I assume that the embargo does not apply to women's football. Otherwise, mm. it wouldn't be being mentioned unless Karen, I assume Karen Carney and her team have done the research. And I, I have no doubt that they have and, and know that the, the Saturday three slot is OK for women's football. So it would be interesting to see what the reaction there is, because they like football is football. So if there's football on the telly at three o'clock, then presumably... There might be people who won't go or are all lower league football fans just not, not into the women's game and they would just like not watch that. I don't know. Interesting conversations to be had about attitudes towards women's football and also just about the the strength of the Saturday three argument. I believe I've said on numerous occasions that if there is a genuine need and desire from the broadcasters to have Saturday three as a slot then the wisest thing to do would be to just have some test weeks and find out if it works, collect some data and find out what happens and see how badly the uh, lower league attendances are, are affected. And if necessary, increase your solidarity payments to compensate for it. But what's significant about this is that I never hear the broadcasters talking about Saturday 3 as something that they want. The only people who I think want Saturday 3 are probably internet streamer people who do their watch alongs and want to use that slot so that they can monetize it and they can't do it because if they do do it then people will know that they're streaming it illegally and then they could conceivably get their channel shut down let's say a prominent manchester united streamer decides to stream the three nil form of defeat then everyone who was watching that stream would know that he is streaming that illegally it only takes one toe rag to complain to youtube and say this guy is breaking the law and he could he could get a strike he could have his have his income shut down. So when you find yourself on the same side of the argument as those kind of people, then you do. I think it's important to, to, to assess whether or not you think you're on the right side of the argument. But if there is no desire for Saturday 3, widespread desire for Saturday 3 to be televised, then why? Why do it? Let's just leave it. Mm. Yeah, you could be an internet streamer or you could be a, a former a former player and manager who has some strong opinions about women working in broadcasting. And then you could show a video of you watching Optus Sport, which is on an illegal stream. I don't know. You could be someone like that. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, this is where this is it, isn't it? Is this... Yeah. What's, what's your opinion on Saturday 3? Well, I, I always used to think it was ridiculous that there was an embargo on it. But Terry is right. You'd need to do some tests to make sure it doesn't impact non-league or teams further down the pyramid. Going to football 
is far, far better than watching it on the telly yeah. in every single way. There is nothing better apart from you don't get wet. Um, you know what I mean? Other than that, it's far better. I mean, I can't pull out of the air what I think will happen, but I just, uh, to be honest with you, 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 you're right. When we talk about it, it, this comes up every now and again. And and, and sometimes I'm like, it's ridiculous. It, this is a, a backward uh, decision that was made years and years ago for reasons that were relevant then. It's not relevant now. You can watch any game whenever you want. But to be honest with you, it's going to become less of an issue. I think the Sky deal is going to mean that a lot more games will move away from Saturday 3. I mean, I don't know if there's a requirement that the majority of games have to be played Saturday mm. 3, is there? There's no not rule. Sure. So, sure. well, I mean, there may well be. So that could be my ignorance. But I think that if it's not this Sky deal or this round of TV deals, maybe the other ones that will come along afterwards, but they'll just move them away from Saturday 3 mm. so they can show them whenever they want. The amount of games that are played on a Sunday now, you only have to go back a few years and find that there's only probably two games played on a Sunday and there were four or five yesterday. That's a lot of fixtures. So I think it'll become less and less relevant as time goes on. I mean, from a personal point of view, on Saturdays, I'm either watching football down the leaf or I'm out doing something else. So three o'clock is a bit of an inconvenient time for me. The 5.30 kickoff's good, the early one less so. And Sunday is a great day to watch football anyway. So I'm not sure it'll be that popular with people that watch men's football at that time. But I do agree, going back to your earlier point, that if you would put women's football in there, I think that will increase the reach as well because, you know, people are, you know, having a, a drink halfway through their shopping uh, trip will be, will will have some football, live football to watch. So it might be actually a good thing for the women's game and um, broaden the minds of people who are blinkered and only want to watch men's football. <laughs> yes, agreed. I think it would be a good thing if they say, right, OK, well, we'll, we'll keep the Saturday 3 embargo but we will have women's football being played then because that gives that a, pr a protected slot. Um, there's so often now that the women's football comes on and it's it's either shunted to less accessible times, like they've got one now, the Sky slot at the moment is, starts at about quarter to seven on a Sunday night, which isn't really in keeping for the sort of demographic of people who want to go to women's football. Uh, as I say, I was at Arsenal yesterday and there were a lot of kids there, a lot of younger kids. So um, then maybe that's not ideal for them on a school night to be at a game until about nine o'clock when you've got to get home and kids ready for school in the morning. So, yeah, I think that would be really good if they have that. If, if they want to keep Saturday 3 as sacred in the men's game, at least offer that slot up for the women's game. Yeah, interesting times ahead there. That's taken us the majority of this podcast to basically catch up on the the news that happened a week ago. But it did allow us, I think, the chance to have more nuanced, nuanced opinion. If that just landed on our laps, say, two hours before we, we press record, who knows? We would have been all over the place, wouldn't we, Terry? We would have been like plucking out opinions yeah. out of the air, mumbling our way through it and just going, oh, yeah, I, I've, I have no idea what sort of opinion I should have on that. I reckon that we'd have been all right, but I don't think that we would have had an opportunity to have been quite so considered about our views as we are now. You're right. Yeah, there's been a degree of, of nuance, I think, to our opinion. Hmm. OK, well, let's have a completely unnuanced opinion now. While we've got a few minutes left of this podcast, <laughs> let's talk about the fact that three, three giants of the European game all got absolutely stuffed at the weekend. Absolutely stuffed. Three giants. Let's count them through. Man United, Bayern Munich, Barcelona. Terry, who do you want to start with out of those three? Well, Barcelona was probably the most predictable because Girona are proper good. 
Yeah. And Barcelona have been off it this season. They're not as good as they have been. So while they are a giant, they are somewhat of a failing giant. I know they won the championship, but I think the general consensus is, is that Barcelona are operating at a slightly lower level now because of the financial restrictions that have been imposed upon them. Not as big as the financial restrictions imposed upon Girona, it should be said. But nevertheless, they are not coping as well with their restrictions as they could do because they're probably not used to it. So, yeah, I think that that was probably not as big a surprise, although the scoreline was a surprise. But I don't think it was a massive surprise given where they are in the table. It was Girona are literally above Barcelona in the table. They are top of the table right now. Top of the league, yeah, because Real only drew with Betis, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I I wrote in the preview that because I looked at the numbers, I I I wasn't putting shade on, on Girona, but I was pointing out that they hadn't beaten a side in the top seven. They certainly have now. Yes, they really have. They yeah, totally have. They really yeah. have. They and they and they went to Barcelona to do it. So yeah, mm. they, they are the real deal. The only team that has beaten them is Real, and they got a, a quite a comprehensive three 0 against them. Even though Girona did have chances in that game as well. So Girona, real title challengers. Well, Jan, what was the biggest surprise for you out of those three? Bayern, they've been doing pretty well this season, um, and then they get spanked away to Frankfurt, which is just seems crazy. I mean, the, the, you know, it's five one, wasn't it, in the end? I mean, that that's unheard of um, for Bayern. So I imagine there's a big inquiry there. But Terry, you want to add a little bit more to that? Frankfurt did Bayern about five nil about two or three years ago. Funnily enough, so I don't know whether or not maybe there's a bit of that going on, but a narrative happening. The feeling is, is that that was a one off. There's talk about Bayern's balance and the balance of their squad. Just talk about the fact that they don't really have a defensive midfielder. They wanted to sign the fellow from Fulham, but couldn't. And that maybe that it's not quite as it should be. I mean, I mean, it's possible Kane is papering over quite a few cracks at Bayern Munich, but nobody would have expected really that kind of result. Honigstein wrote uh, a piece in the Athletic the other day, suggesting that in fact what this means is this is going to be really bad news for United because Bayern will really bounce back. From this, as is their wont, and that's going to make life even harder for United, who they play next in the old Champions League. Yeah, yeah, mm. and United need something from that, otherwise they are out of Europe, aren't they? Altogether. Yep. Oh dear. Oh dear. Well, oh, all right, Jan. What? Well, as far as those results are concerned, how surprised were you by the Man United result? Like losing at home to Bournemouth should have been four nil, but it was actually three nil. Mm. Uh, how surprising was that? Very surprised. I mean, I I wouldn't really put United as a giant anymore. Mm. I think they're probably reclassified to sleeping giant now because they've got a lot of potential. Yeah, things need to change there clearly. But they were terrible. No, actually, I'm going to rephrase that. Bournemouth were brilliant. Yeah, were brilliant and absolutely tore them to pieces. The, the lovely sweeping move that resulted in Slanky's goal and more a beautiful finish that was as well to to mm. kick things off absolutely fantastic and you're right it should have been four but it just looked like every time they came forward they were going to score and when United had a chance in front of goal I mean I think it was only really Maguire's header that slightly troubled the defence but the keeper seemed to get it all right so yeah they just looked all at sea and they were just punch drunk by the end of it Bournemouth have really found their stride certainly found their stride in that game because they were quick they were counter-attacking they were pressing they were just bloody brilliant it was a great performance and I think that United could class themselves as being quite lucky to get away with three because I think it could have been double that um, had the uh, the wind been blowing in different directions so to speak so it was a surprising result but you know Manchester United's wars continue I think you have to hand it to Bournemouth um, ownership for sticking with Iriola because it must have been tempting to have fired him after the start of the season that he'd had 
but it clearly took a while for his methods to come through and it clearly has worked. I mean, I watched Bournemouth resoundingly beat Crystal Palace in midweek, to be fair, in what was a pretty unarguable result. And yeah, they were a different class. I am quite pleased for Iraola because it was a big step to take to leave Vallecas. I would have thought he would have stayed in Spain and to go to England and go to a club like Bournemouth with the greatest respect to Bournemouth. You know, it's a small club. It's always going to be a tough ask to do anything, you know, interesting at a club like Bournemouth. I know there's some money behind there. There always has been since they've risen up there. But still, it's a small club and it's a tough ask. And to go in there and, and for everyone's patience to be rewarded is quite gratifying. And I'm kind of pleased for them in so far as I can be pleased for any team that beats Crystal Palace at home. Yeah, especially after the sacking Gary O'Neill like that. Yeah. A lot of comment in this country, at least, was, whoa, that's a bit rough. And bringing in someone no one's heard of, yeah. unless you follow La Liga, then exactly. the microscope was going to be on them from day one. There was that feeling, though, that although they had a bad start, they were just falling short, weren't they? There was some, mm. It was almost waiting for something to click. And I, I thought that better results would come. I didn't see this one coming. I mean, like Solanke, I've, I've enjoyed Solanke playing for the England youth teams, but you saw the performance he put in against United and it just looked amazing. Yeah, I mean, especially when you think that you've got Sancho uh, also who, who came through those youth ranks for England and you sort of think, you know, he's now wasting his time, well, not even in the reserves for United now. Um, what the hell is going here? So they need an injection, don't they, United? What do they need an injection of, Terry? <laughs> Uh, well they need some they need an injection of some outside expertise um and uh, and that's what they've done obviously as we know sir jim ratcliffe and his ineos group is uh, about to take uh, significant over a billion pounds worth of stake in manchester united it's still a minority stake but they are being given control of football operations so they will basically be responsible for winning football matches which is great for the glazers that means that they can still rake in the money uh, but they don't take any of the shit for it when things go wrong uh, and as a prelude to that, Sir Jim sent over his two guys who work for him on the in your sports group. Uh, and the first guy is a guy called Jean-Claude Blanc, who used to be the CEO of Paris Saint-Germain. Uh-huh. And of course, then there is Sir Dave Brailsford. Sir Dave, Knight of the Realm. He's a Knight of the Realm. <laughs> and so we have to be very, very nice to him because he's a Knight of the Realm. And he is best known for his fantastic work that he did with the Team GB Cycling during the Olympics. He's well-published author. Uh, his small marginal gains has drifted into corporate life. And, of course, latterly, he went and worked for Team Sky, which is now Ineos Grenadiers, which is the cycling team, which enjoyed huge success over the last decade, returning Tour de France winners in Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome, and latterly in Geraint Thomas as well. So a huge pedigree for success there. Um, so you would think mm. under the circumstances that these are good guys to send in to check out what's going on, assess the carnage. Yeah, Sir Dave Brailsford is hugely respected in this country. Massively respected in this country. And massively respected across the world as well? Well, I'll tell you something. There is a name for Team Sky slash Ennius <laughs> Grenadiers amongst the cycling community, and that is the Empire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are... <laughs> Yeah, so they're not the most popular out there. They, they made a big splash when they came in as T-Slide. They've made a lot of money, a lot of money, and brought in a lot of very, very talented cyclists. And a lot of authentic cycling people were again them, frankly. 
And of course, because it's cycling, the spectre of doping hangs in the air. And especially when you see a team that does so well, so quickly, a lot of people just think, well, this can't just be down to money. Now, it, it should be said that as far as I'm aware, there's never been any doping mm. Or any of us on Team Sky, but there have been instances where it's been felt that they've perhaps sailed close to the wind. But you know, in professional cycling, I think that that's an occupational hazard. I just think that that happens because most people feel these days that cycling is much, much, much cleaner than it used to be. But nevertheless, if you're involved in cycling, I think you always have to accept that there'll be a degree of reputation management that needs to come with that. And that's probably one of the reasons why Dave Brailsford was given a knighthood so that people could not say nasty things about him, at least in this country. But no, they're not a popular bunch uh, no. amongst the cycling community. Um, and obviously we know about PSG, we know who their owners are, and we know how they've been able to get their success as well. So it's an interesting mix going in there. And it'll be interesting to see if they can make anything about Man United in the longer term. Mm, yes, yes. Um, they are, Dave Brailsford, yes, certainly did make a big splash. Now the big splashes are all the spectators that the Tour de France is throwing bags of piss at the cyclists <laughs> yeah indeed yeah it was it's awful they were yeah and, and and they'd spit at the cyclists and that you know some national treasures in that like tom pidcock olympic hero tom pidcock um he races for in the Oscars. he won the uh, alpe d'huez stage last season on tour de france last year in the Tour de France, and is an absolute legend. And obviously, Ineos, you know, Jim Ratcliffe's, obviously, his, his, his real way of making money is through chemicals. So, you know, there's, a, there's always the stench of sports washing in the air as well when it, when it comes to Sir Jim, even though he is a United fan. So, yes. you know, let's not judge him too harshly. Uh, who'd begrudge United fans a little bit of good news for a change, eh? <laughs> Who are we to, to throw a bag of piss over that news? <laughs> 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 oh dear. dear 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 yeah well it's probably time to wind this episode up so what are we going to do we're going to talk about the football we can enjoy this weekend anyway united will be in the box set this weekend because it's liverpool man united uh yeah and how do you think that one's going to go down this weekend liverpool man united well liverpool newly top of the league yeah um they've been busily just getting on with things while everybody was losing their minds about uh, arsenal and man city not winning anything. Liverpool has been concentrating on things. Man United are in a bad place. I'd imagine they're going to have a difficult time against Bayern. Um, so I think home win, Clive. We've also got the Old Farm derby with uh, Ipswich Norwich on Saturday lunchtime. <laughs> We've got the Silvio Bolasconi derby on Sunday lunchtime. We've got uh, Milan versus Monza, the first competitive meeting of the two sides since Silvio passed. Do you think that will be an emotional occasion there, Terry? Oh, yeah, I hope so. I hope there's, you know, I, I hope there's a memorial. So, I mean, he would have wanted it. I think he would have wanted everyone to have wept, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and, and, and maybe even named the fixture after him. I mean, the Silvio Berlusconi memorial uh, match I, I, and a, maybe a trophy. I mean, is that too much to ask? He gave us so much. The, the Bunga Bunga Derby. <laughs> That's what it should be called. Joe Terry, there is the Silvio Berlusconi Cup, and it was played in August as a preseason friendly between the two no. sides. So, oh, yes. that's wonderful. And, it, and, oh, okay. and they do give a cup away for it. So, there you go. Your, your wish. You see, you're, you're, <laughs> you should work in marketing <laughs> for Serie God, they need it. I think they might be desperate enough to employ me. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got Lens versus Ren. So, Jan, you can check out Will Still for yourself on Saturday evening. 
there'll be seven games in there to take you from Friday to Sunday. And if you want to see what we think of those seven games, then get along to sofpodcast.com and sign up for the weekend box. It it will turn up in your inbox on Friday lunchtime-ish. Depends how many of the previews I have to write. Uh, A bit late this Friday. Or else you can go and read it on the blog. Your choice. But that is all we have time for this week. We'll be back for the Christmas episode next week. But for now, from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bilton, and from Terry DeFeller, it's goodbye. 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 You can contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter, at Sound of Football or on Facebook.com slash Sound of Football. Well, yes, you (laughs) 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 Well, I'm glad you said it. (laughs) Someone was about to say it sooner or later. Pretty amazing it's not happened before already, isn't it? (laughs) Been overdue for, I'd say, 10 years at least. At least 10 years. Yeah, ever since Chris left, basically, isn't it? It's been simmering. <laughs> yeah, please don't Easter egg me saying. <laughs> yeah, I do not give permission for you to reproduce me saying. <laughs> or. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh. Well, I'm glad we've got that cleared up. Got that cleared up. Yeah. <laughs> On the record. Yeah. All right then. So, what are we going to talk about? Yes. Oh, Football everywhere. <laughs>